Hello and welcome back to the Fire and Fringes podcast. Today we have Corey Russell from Upper Room sharing on intercession and prayer, living a life in prayer, abiding in Jesus. Let's jump right in. Set oh. out. Hey. <laughs> <Set> out. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Love you, man. You're powerful. Is this my drink? I'll take it. Praise God. Hey, man, it's good to see you guys. So good to see some of my Kansas City folk here. Trinity Smithston and Sister Rebba Verapoo. Love this girl. Anyway, I brought my daughter with me too, Maya. So I'm going to have her do some ministry time here in a little bit. And we'll have fun. Let me look at all your beautiful faces. Well, I love Daniel so much. A man of God, a man of excellence, a man of integrity. And I'm just so thrilled of just uh, what the Lord's done with him and his family. I um, <clears throat> Go ahead and turn to Luke 11, all right? I don't have a lot of stories. <laughs> uh, I got some Bible verses. Um, <laughs> I, but I'll give you a little bit of a story, and then we'll jump in. Luke 11, go ahead and get there. And, um, yeah, we're going to have fun. Lord, we love you so much. Release your presence. Amen. I got radically saved in 1997. Anybody here from Arkansas? Uh, oh, come on. Where at? Where at? All right, I'm from right out. All right, I went to school in Conway at UCA for a second. But I was so high during those years, I don't remember any of it. So <laughs> that's part of my testimony. Um Oh, y'all in here judging me and stuff. Come on, somebody. Give me a break. Let me work it out. I'm from a little town called Alma, and uh, right outside of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and grew up in a great family. Didn't know Jesus, though, and so I got into gangster rap music at about eight years old. I don't know how it happened. This little white kid from Arkansas got into gangster rap music, and so when the first blunt 40 and all the definitions of masculinity came my way, I said, let's roll. And so kind of went down that road during high school, acting the fool, and uh, go off to college. I went to UCA and Conway and did, uh, you know, once athletics, I was big into uh, playing sports and stuff like that. But once that was out of the equation, I had a big hole in my heart. I didn't know who I was. And so I said, let's roll. Let's fill that place with drugs, sex, and rap. I didn't like rock and roll. So began to roll and uh, spent that whole year high. Came home for my first summer after being in college for a year. And I came home for the first summer and I got my first DWI. And I couldn't afford to go back to college where I was at. So I had to stay in the Fort Smith area. Ended up hooking up with my, my best friend. My best friend was homeschooled till ninth grade. He had one of those Pentecostal praying mamas. Anybody got a mama like that? Three of you. Y'all need a mama like this. Ones that anoint everybody with oil. This was before essential oil, so there were just candles burning all the time. Always praying in the Holy Ghost, never slept. And I remember I'd come to his house high as a kite, 3 in the morning, and she'd be waiting at the door, 3 in the morning. She'd be going, Shandalabakata. None of those demons are coming in this house. Corey, you can come in, but your friends, you got to leave them outside. I want to tell you, these are the best moms in the world. We need some more mamas like this and dads, but 
I stayed at his house another night, high as a kite, laid my head on the pillow, and I go, what in the world? She had put anointing oil all over the pillow. <laughs> Anoint his ears, Lord. Anoint his ears. She'd come into the side room with two fingers, just praying in the Holy Spirit over it all the time. Well, usually families like this got about 25 kids, so that's kind of filled in the thing too. And so he was homeschooled till ninth grade. And once he, he went crazy during his years, I come back from my first DWI, and now we're starting to do the drugs that keep you up three or four days a week at a time. We end up getting an apartment, going hard, but when you got a mama praying like that, I got a mom praying like that, it's T minus 10, 9, 8 before you come to Jesus. When you got mamas praying for the hounds of heaven to come after you and to hunt you down and to tackle you and rip you out of that lifestyle, it's T minus 10. Why did he blow? John 20, 22, Jesus blew on them, all right? So if I blow on y'all, that's a Bible verse for that, okay? <laughs> Isn't that a great verse? All right. Um, so we're doing the drugs that keep you up, strung out. Well, November of, of 1996, when we had come off this drug high, we came back, and my friend, my friend Zach was weird, all right? For about the next four months, he stopped talking, all right? We just, he looked at everybody with real big eyes. We didn't know what to do with him, but you just kind of throw him in the back seat and go do everything with him. But all he does is sit in the back seat and look at everybody like this. He didn't talk for four months. You know you're in trouble when dope heads are talking about your intervention. And so we were planning his intervention. That went on for four months. And it culminated on February 1st, 1997. It was my birthday. I had been at the University of Arkansas partying that night, driving down what's called the Boston Mountains, and I began to have a heart attack due to the drugs I'd been doing. I literally began to have whatever that thing they call that when you've done too many drugs, but I began to have it, and I felt a supernatural peace come over my body, and I was so messed up, I thought it was the cool song on the radio. I'm like, what? That's the best song in the world. God had just stopped a heart attack. All right, so I, I, I pull up at his house right after this encounter, and I come to pull my best friend. We're going to go party again, take my weird friend, put him in the back seat, and let's roll. <laughs> you love him, but he's weird. Well, he comes running out the front door screaming at me at the top of his lungs, screaming at the top of his lungs. First conversation in four months. Corey, it's heaven or hell. Corey, it's heaven or hell. You have to make a decision now. <laughs> um, he's screaming and running full speed at me. You know, the 25 kids out in the front yard, I'm like, what in the world? Just had a heart attack, stopped. This is happening. I'm still tripping from that. And then he's running at me screaming, heaven or hell, Corey, heaven or hell. And I'm like, what's going on with you? Talk to me. He, he goes, you got to give your life to Jesus now. you got to give your life to Jesus now. Well, I end up grabbing my other buddy. We leave, and it was known his Pentecostal praying mama was at a conference the weekend before, and she got a, the, the pastor said, come up here and get your children. And she got a breakthrough on Saturday, and on Thursday he came home, and she led him through three days of deliverance. Breaking the power of the devil off of him, leading him back to Jesus, getting him clear, getting him cleansed. And so he's screaming heaven or hell. Well, two weeks later, by that time, I was so angry. I had never been more angry at anyone in my life for betraying me. You don't get saved at 20 years old. 
That's something you do at 30 when you're ready to calm down with your life and be respectable. Not so close to 21, all the plans that we had planned of, and you're letting me down. Two weeks later, he showed up at college. By the grace of God, I was still in college studying to be an elementary teacher. Aren't you glad I got saved? You don't need me with little Timmy, you know, some strung out dude with your little Timmy. I was still in school. He showed up. He goes, can I take you to lunch? I go, sure, you're buying. Takes me to lunch. And he shares with me that for those four months, the spirit realm was opened up to him. He says, Corey, I was seeing angels and demons. I was seeing what was controlling people. Corey, you're controlled by demons. They move through your life, and you have no idea what's going on, but I was fully seeing it, and it was freaking me out. And he goes, and we had been shut up in a little house. We had been shut up in a little house, and the voice of the Lord broke in the middle of that party and told me that Satan is raising up an army, but I'm raising up an army too, and I'm calling you out tonight. And I want you to go call your friends out. And he said, Corey, I'm telling you as clear as I can, heaven is real and hell is real. You need to give your life to Jesus or you will spend eternity in hell. I had just gotten my second DWI. My license was gone for the foreseeable future. And I looked him right in the face and I said, dude, shut up and take me back to school. I said, I I'm done with you. I gave you your chance. So that we can make up and you go get saved on me and now you're preaching to me. I don't want to hear nothing. So he said, fine. And so he drives me back to the college, pulls into the parking lot. Right before I get out of the van, I felt a presence. I was sitting in the passenger seat. I felt a presence move from the right of my body to my left. And I began to shake violently as I began to have seizure-like activity. I didn't know what it was. I think I was cussing as Holy Spirit entered the car. I go, what is this? And before I knew it, I'm shaking violently like this. And all I can see is a tug-of-war battle between light and darkness over my soul. I knew there was a real battle between light and darkness over my soul, and I was in that balance. Well, my friend pulled in, pulled in the back of the parking lot, and I guess his Pentecostal praying mom taught him one prayer because he went right after it. He goes, in the name of Jesus, I bind the Antichrist spirit. <laughs> That's like prayer 101, man. We're going to learn this one. It's one of the spirits that has a title in the Bible. In 1 John, talks about spirit of Antichrist. There's a literal Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist is that which denies the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that which will not confess that the Son is God. So he binds the spirit, and it goes from me shaking violently like I'm having a seizure into all of a sudden I start choking, all right? This is my story. I'm sticking to it, and I can't breathe. I literally start feeling choking around my throat, and I can't breathe, and I knew I had to get out the name Jesus, but all I could get out was G's. So I'm going, G's. G's. <laughs> He's in my ear. Say it. <laughs> Say it. Say it. I, I'm literally doing this. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> this goes on for like a minute. Jeez. Finally, I remember taking a deep breath and with all the power inside of me, screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus. And as soon as I screamed his name, the hold broke off of me, and it was like God came and breathed into my mouth. And for the next five minutes, all I could say is, I've got air. 
I've got air. I've got air. He jumps out of the van dancing, saying, Jericho's come down. Jericho's come down. I didn't know what Jericho was. Sounded deep. And I'm sitting there just shaking. I go, I got air. I got it. Here's running around the van. Jericho, hallelujah. And I heard a voice. We're in a college parking lot. It's February 18th, 1997. And I had, I heard, anybody got a birthday on that date? Okay, well, I got saved on that day. Well, after about five minutes of screaming, I've got air, I heard a voice as clear as day coming to my mind. And the voice says, get out of the van, get on the pavement, and give me your life, your mind. I didn't meet the Jesus with the lisp that wanted to give me a lot of friends and fulfill all my destiny. I met Jesus says, okay, you've seen enough. Give me everything. Give me your whole life. And so I fall out of the, the van, kids running everywhere, and I start, here's my sinner's prayer. Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. And that moment, at around noon, in that college parking lot on a Tuesday, February 18, 1997, I experienced the greatest miracle ever as I passed from death to life. In one supernatural moment, supernatural cleansing came over my life. As I experienced that born-again experience, and my spirit that was dead, supernaturally in one moment, God infused his life on the inside of man. I was born of the spirit. And in one supernatural moment, all the years of addiction, I don't say it to glorify, but we were doing every drug, every way, sticking needles in our veins, smoke a bag a day, drink a case away, threw, threw away all of our sexuality throughout our teenagers. One touch of the raw presence of God brought instantaneous deliverance. I believe in the power of God. And I sat there just undone, instantaneous deliverance, instantaneous, and then I ran home, fell in my parents' lap saying I got saved. And then I sat on my porch swing for two hours, undone by how blue the sky was, how green the grass was, and how loud the birds were. And I had been dead for 20 years, and I was alive. I believe in the power of God. And I believe some of you might have, that might be your journey. But I want you to know whether it was dramatic like that or you were a five-year-old little girl who felt the badness of your heart and came to the altar and gave your life to Jesus. I want you to know the same reality took place. Well, I began... What began to happen is that within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that or bigger in their explosions. I'm talking about pop, pop. We're, we're hardened dudes that don't do that because other people are doing it. We get mad about that stuff. And so one of my buddies, the fear he's about to make a drug deal. Fear of the Lord fills his car. He throws all of his drugs out of the car and stands on top of a mountain all night. And he came back to me the next day. God was in the wind. And he told me to give me his life. And then I woke up the next morning wondering if it was God and said, God, I'll smoke this last joint. If I don't get high, I'll give my life to you. The Lord says, smoke it. <laughs> he didn't get high. <laughs> I end up leading my little brother to the Lord who goes crazy for Jesus in the high school. And over the next six months, we would see half the high school come to Jesus. 
we'd see, we'd move into about five meetings a week till three in the morning. We began to have five meetings a week till three in the morning. I literally stood at my college uh, library door asking every person if they knew Jesus walking in. My friend would do open air debates with people, and I would just ask everyone, do you know Jesus? And we got baptized in the spirit of revival. We got baptized in a move of God when God takes over. And when God begins to invade and God begins to infect, and I began to get really marked, and I began to connect my best friend's mom and her friends. Those are the women I want to hang out with because when they pray, the atmosphere shifts. When they pray, they talk to God like he's a real person. And so I began to connect as a 20-year-old freak right out of the world. I spent my first two years of salvation hanging out primarily with two 50-year-olds and one 80-year-old woman. Cool has nothing to do with age. It has to do, you want to be cool? You want people to gather around you? Get on fire. Fire begets fire. Fire begets fire. So I began to cut my teeth hanging out with these older women who said, you don't need your favorite song on before you start praying. You don't need that song to unlock your heart. You got tongues in the Bible. You got six, they taught me about 6 a.m. prayer. They taught me about praying from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. They taught me about praying in the Holy Spirit, about praying when a burden of travail comes on your life and you feel a burden for souls and how to pray through burdens that God puts on your heart. And that's where I cut my teeth. I spent my first two years hanging out with these girls. They were on fire, and I'm 21, 22, just screaming in tongues, praying the Bible, and hanging out with 80-year-old women. It was awesome. Well, I began to get so consumed with prayer. I met my wife. We got married in 98, been married almost 25 years. Come on, somebody. We had our first daughter in 99, and then I graduated. I'm an elementary teacher by degree. And then two days later, we moved to Kansas City to join the International House of Prayer. Come on, somebody. December of 2000. Come on, somebody. We had $500 of confirmed support. Rent was 540 So the math sounded good, so we said, let's go for it. And we began to jump into a river because I said, God, if you let me do it, I'd love to spend eight hours a day in your presence. Everybody said, I'd love to do that. I said, I'd like to see you try. Everybody getting bored after their prayer list in 30 seconds. Then what do I do when i got to look at God? And then you begin to realize how unfamiliar you are with him and how unlovely he really is to you. And so I didn't know what I was doing. I, I just said, let's go for this. And so we, uh, we moved in, and I remember verses like John 17, 24 began to lay hold of my life. Where the word desire, everybody say desire. I remember when I began to connect with Jesus in John 17, 24, where he's praying for you and me. And he goes, Father, I desire that those whom you've given me would be with me where I am. Everybody talks about your prayer life, but do you, have you ever thought about Jesus' prayer life? Have you ever considered Jesus' prayer life? And that I want to tell you, because I'm going to talk to you a lot about prayer over the next two days. And I'm here to tell you right now. That prayer does not start with you. It starts with God. 
Look at Luke 11, verse 1. Let's just jump in, and then we're going to go. That was my one story. I might have a couple of more. We'll see. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that a wild story? I believe in the spirit of revival taking over regions. I'm grateful. I feel like we call everything revival. When everything is revival, nothing's revival. When we make a couple of more meetings and a word of knowledge, which are all awesome, a couple of people fall down, we call that revival. I want you to know that revival is when God takes over. It's not about human personalities. It's not even about human giftings. It's when the manifest presence of God begins to enter in to a, to a city, into a region, and the crack house is as aware of the presence of God as the church is. It's when pedophile rings begin to get convicted and exposed. It's when crack houses and human trafficking rings and the manifest fear of God touches a region and where simple words break down the hardest of hearts. That's what I long for. It's in my heart is that God's going to take over regions and cities again. When you read the book of Acts, you have to deal with God taking over cities. 3,000 born again on the day of Pentecost. 5,000 in Acts 4. It says in Acts 8 that when Philip preached the word of God in Samaria, the whole city was filled with joy at the word of God. A whole city filled with joy. How about Ephesus where 12 disciples that only knew the baptism of John would over a course of two years turn into 25,000 new converts and the whole, all of Asia Minor would hear the word of the Lord out of Ephesus. In Thessalonica in Acts 17, they were preaching. They're preaching another Caesar, Jesus. And they're turning the world upside down. See, I want to I talk about revival of God taking over regions and God putting his hand on men and women and taking the simplest words. This is my definition of revival. It's seasons. Acts 3.19 calls it times of refreshing. But it's times. It's seasons. Where God openly manifests the rule and the reign of his son by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the release of apostolic preaching. Apostolic preaching is preaching that cuts. Everybody's preaching with butter knives. We need to get swords back on our mouth. The world don't need your nuggets of wisdom. The world don't need you plus Jesus changing the world. The world needs crucified men and women who have been crucified with Christ, and they no longer live, but Christ lives in them, speaks through them, puts them on, and releases simple words, not with human wisdom, but with the release of power. That's what's going to change the world, the spirit of conviction. John 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The world don't need your help. It don't need your good ideas or your strategies. We need men and women that have become one with the gospel and where he speaks through you. And it's the simple words that breaks down the hardest of hearts. I believe we're going to see that again. You know what they say about the Hebrides revival in the late 1940s off of Scotland. There was a move of God and God used a man by the name of Duncan Campbell. And he was sent from England and he came over there. And he tells the story about this move of God on the, on the Hebrides Islands. And, he's, and he, he gets wakened up at 3 a.m. and he's sharing in his story. He's walking to the police station. The police chief shows up to his door. 
and they're walking to the police station, and everyone is outside their house, leaning over hay bales, leaning over everything, and they're weeping and they're crying out for their sins. Okay? Well, they get to the police station, and the police station's packed. And he goes up and he interviews a guy saying, why are you here? And the guy goes, I don't know. All I know is that everything I've ever done wrong was made known to me. And I knew I had to turn myself into the cops. I believe in that. I believe in that. I believe in that. Acts 2, he says, I'm going to do this before I return. I'm going to pour out my spirit before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. He's going to pour out his spirit. That's more than a good revival service that goes past lunch. That's where the groan happens. When I touched that spirit of revival in my first season of walking with the Lord, I was wrecked for everything else. At the end of the day, I'm a lover of his presence, and I've got this deep, guttural groan at the core of my being. Do it again. Do it in our day. And God says, you know what? This is a prime environment, a prime cultural environment for God to flex in the nations. We just need men and women that believe it, and that have thrown their lives into the furnace of prayer and fasting into becoming one with the crucified Lord. It's not going to be you plus Jesus that's going to change the world. <laughs> it's dead you and resurrected Christ through you. It's going to change the world. Anyway, I'm not supposed to get to revival here for another day or so. So, Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Hear me, hear me. It's not going to be becoming culturally relevant that's going to reach this world. It's not going to be by us trying to learn all the A, B, C through Zs. I've just been thinking about 1 Corinthians 1, the cross. It's the foolishness of God that's wiser than men. It's the power of men and women that have become one with the Savior. And if there's anything that I leave with you for the next two days, it's a groan. It's a disillusionment. And it's a deep pain over your utter poverty to do anything. If I can cut you and wound you, that in and of yourself you can do nothing. And we all say that, that's the tagline. Apart from you, I can do nothing. No, he means it. <laughs> anyway, all right. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. What would it look like for God to come down on these outreaches you're going into? What would it look like when you offer the simple gospel that the power of the Holy Spirit matches it with glory and a spirit of conviction and all of a sudden one deliverance? We have biblical precedent for a notable miracle, Acts 3 and 4. One notable miracle that exposes everything and that becomes a trickle effect of revival. What would happen if you come into one village, you lead one person to the Lord, see them get delivered of a demon, and it becomes the apologetic to the community of the power of Jesus? 
All right, good. I just want to cut you. I believe in the power of God. I believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe in simple words, and I believe in a whole generation that we would thrust all over the earth that would be absolutely consumed, would absolutely be delivered from all of our own wisdom strategies and plans and ideas, and that we would just be weepers, that we would be groaners, that we would be travailers. I love it. Matthew 9, and I know this is, Matthew 9 is an interesting verse. It's probably one of the tagline verses of going. Jesus has been blowing up the region with the gospel in Matthew 9, about verse 36. And then he turns around and he looks at all of them like sheep having no shepherd. They're weary and harassed like sheep having no shepherd. Y'all know that verse? Okay, good. He's looking back. Jesus takes us in. Go ahead and go there with me, Matthew 9. Then we're going to get to Luke 11 here soon. Thank you, Jesus. I'm usually funny, so. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right. Matthew 9, trying to look cool in front of all you Gen Zers, so I'm not wearing my glasses, so I'm going to have to hold it back here for a second. <laughs> oh, strengthen your servant, Lord. Pour into his bosom. He needs you. Okay. Verse 30-something, about verse 37. It says, but when he saw, everybody say he saw. Okay, so I, these are one of the rare times where you get brought into the eyes of Jesus, where Jesus is looking at people. And we're going to see the connection between his eyes and his heart. He saw the multitudes. Because you've got to understand, every person that's getting healed, ten more being added. Every person that's getting delivered, a hundred more being added. So the snowball effect of the gospel hitting the region is just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And what Jesus is seeing is the needs are only increasing. And I, I cannot walk through 5,000 people today and minister to every one of them. He's feeling his own even limitations. And he's seeing the multitudes weary and harassed like sheep having no shepherd. Weary and scattered is one of the uh, translations, like sheep having no shepherd. Okay, so Jesus is looking at him, and now he's going to bring his disciples into his burden. Look at this. And he's going to tell all the boys, gather them up. And I just picture them looking over a hill at 5,000 people. And Jesus goes, you see all these people? They go, yeah. He goes, the harvest truly is plentiful. Everything is ready out here. There's not one more thing that needs to be prepared for the harvest. The issue is not the readiness of the harvest. The issue is the lack of laborers. Now that's a that's a that's a pretty indictful passage right here. For you know what Jesus can I just break it down to you in Corey Russell Arkansas language? Everything's ready, but you can't do nothing about it. You can't do nothing about it. You don't know how to reap the harvest, then know how to disciple the harvest into the deeper life. You don't know what to do with the demand. You aren't prepared. You aren't equipped. You aren't wounded over what I'm wounded over. Well, Jesus, what do we do? Do we go? He says, I want you to pray the Lord of the harvest. 
pray the Lord of the harvest. I, I love this, and I am all about, and I love it on every point. But he didn't tell him to go. He told him to pray. What does he mean? Throw your life into the furnace of connecting your heart to the one who cares about the harvest more than you do. Until his eyes become your eyes. Until his heart becomes your heart. Until his power becomes your power. And you get one with him. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Well, Jesus, I can go. I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. He goes, no, I don't just need you plus me. I need you in the furnace of praying the Lord of the harvest and then in due time, I will ekbalo, I will send forth laborers into my harvest field. I believe that the revelation of Jesus the shepherd, Jesus the intercessor, and Jesus the evangelist is all coming together in this hour. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Throw your life into the furnace. Hear me. I want to call all of you to 6 a.m. prayer. All right, I'm, pa I'm tired. Of, I'm past being cool. I, you're like, hey, I don't do mornings. Do you, do you got some nights of prayer under your belt? Have you wrestled with God in boredom? Well, it's hard to be in boredom because we'll get an Instagram click or a Snapchat click or a TikTok click after about 30 seconds. So it's really hard to ever really deal with our boredom and our loneliness and our pain of isolation and what to do with a God we barely know. But you can use me. He goes, I love you, buddy, but I want you to look at me. I, I, you know, this is the thing I'm discovering about God the older I get. He's really into eye contact. He's a God of eye contact. I spent the majority of my parenting years trying to get our two-year-olds to look me in the face. God loves eye contact, and I want to tell you what's going to change the world is people who have looked at him long enough. Because the more you look at him, the more you're going to be transformed into the same image. Pray the Lord of the harvest. I want to call some of you to 6 a.m. prayer. That you begin to go to bed. by. That's going to require you to go to bed by 10 or 11. That's going to require you to be socially weird for a season. That's going to require you to miss out on some cool conversations that most people repent for the next morning. I'm sorry. Most of the stuff you repent for happened after 10 o'clock. Aren't you tired of waking up, spending the first 45 minutes repenting for the stuff you did when you should have been asleep? Wouldn't you love, and I, I love it, God's so kind, he'll keep forgiving you, but he would say, hey, I'd like to talk about someone other than you. I'm not your glorified Dr. Phil. I'm not here to help you feel better about yourself. I'm not here just to get you through another day. I want to introduce you to my son. I want to blow your mind with the revelation of who he is and what he means to me. I want to deliver you from you so you can get lost in me. So you can discover who you are in me. The real you is hidden in him. Huh? Simon turned into Peter at the revelation of Jesus. Saul turned into Paul at the revelation of Jesus. Jacob turned into Israel at the revelation of Jesus. The real you is hidden in him. Can we shift your prayer life?
from just feeding into narcissism and humanism and he's my sugar daddy going to help me through one more day. He goes, oh, I want to introduce you to my son. I want to blow your mind with who I am. It's not just another self-help thing here to help you with your shame. It's the power of the cross and the power of a real spirit of revelation that doesn't have you keep drinking from the same broken cisterns. I'm talking about a revelation that snatches the love of that pornography addiction or snatches the love of that text thread that you won't get off of because you love the emotional connection. God wants to deliver you from it. He says, oh, I want to bring you into my voice. I want to bring you into my words. I want to wash you and I want to reveal my heart to you. I want you to pray the Lord of the harvest. God, I don't care any about the harvest like you do. You're the Lord of the harvest. You're the Lord of the harvest. Bring me into your heart. Bring me into your eyes. I'm telling you, if you begin to go after that, I'll call you to early morning prayer. Call you to late night prayer. Call you to some days of fasting. Wouldn't you love for your soul to get quiet? Me too. All right. Lord, we love you. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Throw your life into the furnace where he consumes every other lover, where he consumes every other addiction, where he consumes every other voice. You're going to get bored after five minutes. Here's what I want to say. Just keep going. You're going to get bored after 45 seconds. Just keep going. Keep reaching for eye contact. And when your mind wanders after 45 seconds, bring it back to Abba. Say, God, I really want to, I really want to break through this. This attention issue I got. I'm going to keep reaching for you until we lock eyes. And you know what he feels with someone who says, God, I want to get delivered from the dopamine of TikTok hits after every 30 seconds. And I want to reach for you. You know what happens? It moves his heart. It moves his heart that you're reaching for him and that you're declaring war on a distracted generation. You're declaring war on using Jesus as a stepladder into your destiny. He's not a stepladder into your destiny. He wants to kill your destiny and resurrect his through you. If I get Jesus, I'm going to go get this and get a little better about life. He goes, oh, buddy, come on. I'm going to wreck your world. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. I believe we're going to see the greatest. We know it. Matthew 24, 14, 15. He says this. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. And then the end will come. All right. Go with me to Luke 11. I think I'm ready to talk about Luke 11. Oh, and just so you know, I'm not good at breaks. So we're just going to go as long as we can, and then we'll do ministry time. All right? Because I don't start well once I stop. Got to pee, just pee on yourself. We'll be okay, all right? <laughs> Playing. 
Look at Luke 11, verse 1. They saw him praying in a certain place. Who would have loved to have watched Jesus pray? Come on, for real. This is what I would have loved. Most of us have to spend 30 minutes to get there. He lives there. He lived in the bosom of the Father. In the embrace of Abba, he lived there. And I counted it up one time. There's 175 verses in the Gospels of either Jesus teaching on prayer or praying himself. Prayer was not a religious duty. It wasn't. I don't even see the word quiet time in the Bible. I think it's great to have an hour with the Lord. But he really calls us into abiding. He really calls us into a life of communion and a life of fellowship. Because this is what happens if you just build a quiet time theology. That's my time with Jesus, and here's the other 23 hours of me doing it by myself. He don't want, he don't want a tithe of your day. He wants your day. See, the, the bathroom and the bedroom are as dear to him as the prayer room. I love it. That's the fear of the Lord. I was talking with Amir about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is when you live before the God, you live before the eyes of the God who sees, who cares, and who's really intensely involved. All right, we're not ready to go there. All right, Luke 11. Everybody say this. They got to watch him pray. I'm going to give you a personal belief right here. I believe that the greatest impact Jesus left on his disciples outside of the cross was his prayer life while on the earth. That's a big statement. Ian Bounds, the great writer on prayer, says, It was worth a trip from heaven to earth to teach men how to pray. Prayer was not religious activity. Prayer... Prayer was where Jesus lived as he lived in two places at once. God wants to teach you how to live in two places at once. One eye on the throne room and one eye in the task that the Lord's called you to do. All right, they watched him pray. And then we know what they're going to ask him when he got done. What they ask him? What they ask him? Come on, read your Bible. What they ask him? Good. Who would have loved to have heard him preach? This is what their mouths, this is what mouths look like by the time Jesus was done with Sermon on the Mount. They were astonished. They'd never heard anyone talk this way about the kingdom. He preached messages that left drool hanging down lips. He left messages that provoked the religious. He preached messages that cut to the heart of the system that was built on religion and cut to the true spirit. He preached messages, all his oration skills, unmatched, unparalleled, as grace flowed from his lips. Who would have loved to have seen the healings? Blind eyes, deaf ears, lame walking, deaf hearing. How about deliverances? Boom. Jesus did more deliverances than anything else. He was a walking demon buster. Devil come out. 
Mute spirits leaving. Deaf spirits leaving. Demoniac, one of my favorite, Mark 5. The demoniac set free, and it says he fell at his feet in his right mind, worshiping Jesus. How about prophecies? Woman at the well. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Yes. This is what I want to tell you. Everybody look at me. Look at me. Look at me. What would happen? Let's say Daniel is Jesus in the story. He's, a, he's close to him. He's a, such a godly man. Look at me. What would happen if you rolled with Daniel for three and a half years? You were in every revival service. You heard every message, witnessed every deliverance, saw every miracle, watched Lazarus come out of the grave. And then, this is what John says in the book of John. If everything Jesus said and did were put into a books, there would not be enough books to contain it. You know what that's speaking about? Late night fireside chats. Jesus, what did you feel when you said the woman with the issue of blood touched you and you felt power coming out? And then Jesus talked for two hours. How about walks from one city to the next? Those disciples were in a walking revival for three and a half years, and I don't see one recorded time where they asked Jesus, teach us to preach. Teach us to heal. Teach us to do miracles. Teach us to prophesy. Teach us how to do deliverances. After spending three and a half years with the Son of God, watching His life, the greatest impact, And the greatest discipleship he left on them is teach us to pray. We want your prayer life. We want your prayer life. Here's my question for every one of you. And I know I'm giving it to you at the start of your journey. But it's one I want you to be burdened over for the next 50 years. Does anybody want your prayer life? And after being around you, do they want your prayer life? If the greatest leader ever comes to the earth and produces that in the ones around him the most, what am I producing in the ones around me? Do they want my prayer life or my preaching gift? Do they want my prayer life or my networking skills? Do they want my prayer life or my wisdom strategies about how to build A, B, C through Z? No man is greater than his prayer life. I can fake you out with my gifts. I can flex. I can strut. I can... But whatever I am, when I close my eyes and make eye contact with him, is who I really am. Get a vision to become a man of prayer. Become a woman of prayer. To become one who is acquainted with throne room. Y'all okay? All right, well, Jesus is going to deal with the first lie that we all believe about prayer. And this is why prayer is boring for most of you. You've relegated prayer to your list. But we're going to rip some list up today. All right, Jesus says, okay. You want to learn about prayer? Yeah. He goes, okay. Write down everything you need me to fix in your life. All right. Heal Uncle Johnny. Save Aunt Susie. Touch Brother Bobby. 
I need money. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I need money. I need money. I ain't got no money. Jesus, okay. You get your list? Yeah. He goes, okay, give me your list. He sits there, he blows you a kiss saying, I really love you and I really like you. But I got to do this to teach you about prayer. Because when you think prayer, you think list. When I think prayer, I think person. And I want to introduce you to him. The Lord's prayer doesn't start with asking for something, but looking at someone. When you pray, there's a win. It doesn't just happen on the fly. There's a win. When you pray, say, our Father. Everybody say, Abba. In heaven, holy. Say, Abba. Heaven, holy. All right? So Jesus says, let me introduce you to someone. I want to tell you the revelation of God as Father is absolutely earth-shattering. It is the revelation Jesus brought to the planet as the Son of God is the revelation of Yahweh as Abba, as Father. hundred times in the book of John, Father is spoken. And I want to tell you, and I know the Lord's doing that. I heard Sister's testimony earlier. God's releasing a 12-gauge to all the jacked-up views about God that you have, that have been formed through whether it be parental relationships, authority figures, everybody's got a jacked up view of God. No matter how good he was or how bad he was, Jesus says in Luke 11, everybody's evil compared to my father. <laughs> God wants to blow your mind. And when I talk about father, I love the embracing father that embraces the prodigal son that's been partying in Vegas for the weekend. I love the embrace of Luke 15. I love Luke 15, verse 20. If you want to get a revelation, and, and Daniel's got a great book on this. You guys need all of this. Luke 15, verse 20, is the revelation of Abba towards you in your most vulnerable places. Think about the most vulnerable thing that you struggle with when you're still not up to the porch. Or still not meeting the mark. I want you to know with certainty that you can encounter the Luke 15, 20, Abba. Father saw him, felt compassion, ran, kissed, embraced, and gave him a second inheritance while he was still a great way off. I love that father. Father not only loves jacked up kids that have been partying, but he also loves religious kids that are working. Because father ran outside of the older son too. And you know, a majority of us in this room, we got a little bit of both. But a lot of you are working so hard to please him, you can never let him enjoy you. All right, I lost y'all a while ago. Wake up. Some of y'all falling asleep. That ain't my fault. Wake up. I'd go off on Father. He's rich and he's generous. He's not poor and he's not stingy. 
He's not jacked up. He's not manipulative. He's not a liar. He's not a seducer. He's not going to make broken promises and then pull the rug out from under you last second. He's not jacked up. He's not twisted. He's a really good father, and I could go off on that. You read all Daniel's stuff. It'll change your life. But I want to talk to you about in heaven. Everybody say in heaven. I want you to stand. Prayer doesn't start on earth. It starts in heaven. Did you get that? I thought we go to heaven when we die. No, you go to heaven when you die in Christ and are resurrected in him. God wants to teach you how to ascend to the throne room. Do you know how to ascend to the throne room? You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's okay. But I'm going to teach you this morning. Everybody lift your hands. I want you to lift up your eyes. Why are we lifting our eyes? Because Jesus did it three times in the Gospels. He lifted his eyes before he raised Lazarus from the dead, before he fed the 5,000, and before he prayed John 17. Who was Jesus looking at? Father, where? In heaven. Father, I pray right now that you would fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your son. I pray that our eyes would be opened and that you would open up the gates of heaven and that we would see the throne room of God. I pray for Revelation chapter 4 to be stamped on all of our eyeballs. I pray for the revelation of the throne of grace and the throne of power and the throne of righteousness and the throne of glory to be filling our minds and our eyes that we could ascend to the throne, clean hands, pure heart. Hebrews 10, 19, the new and living way by the blood of Jesus into the holiest of all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus cleanses you. That's how you enter in through the veil which is his flesh into the holiest of all. It's time to lift your eyes, church. It's time to lift your hands. It's time to ascend. Hallelujah. 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 Our Father in heaven, in heaven, in heaven, break the ceiling in the name of Jesus. Break the religious ceiling. Break the religious ceiling. Break the shame ceiling. Oh, Father, I pray, Hebrews 4, 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly. Come like you belong here. We're not orphans in the front yard. We live in the house. We've been living in the front yard so long, screaming at the house, wondering what's going on in the house. And I can hear the Holy Spirit saying, kids, it's getting late. It's time to come on in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know our arms are getting tired. But Holy Spirit, release some Aaron and some hers to keep some hands raised. (laughs) The Lord is my banner. (laughs) Hallelujah. Keep going. You're like, what do I do? All right, I'm about to speak to you, Revelation 4. And this is where I want it all to go for all of you. I'm not going to read it off my Bible. Because I know it. I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet 
speaking with me, saying, come up here. And I prophesy to every one of your spirits, the door is open. And I prophesy to your spirits, come up here. Come out of religion. Come out of shame. Come out of lies. Come out of accusation. Come out of torment. Come out of you-focused Christianity and come to the throne. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. Everybody say, behold. Behold. Say, behold. Behold. Say, behold. I saw a throne set in heaven, a throne set above everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on in the nations, everything that's going on. There's a throne set in heaven. It's immovable. It's unshakable. There'll be no overthrow of this throne. Hallelujah. It's a throne of righteousness. It's a throne of justice. It's a throne of grace. Hallelujah. Oh, so you intermingle the verses with lightly praying in tongues. You don't have your prayer language, just say, take me up. But let's all begin to pray in the Spirit. I'm going to take you on a guided prayer assignment right now. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Keep going. Sons and daughters, come to the throne. The carpet is rolled out for you. The carpet is rolled out for you. Oh, You're getting set free because it's not about you anymore. Oh, there's a throne. Your spirit's crying out, Abba. Your spirit's crying out, Abba, I belong to you. Your spirit cries out, Abba, I belong here. Hey! Keep going, children. <laughs> There's joy in the throne room. There's peace in the throne room. Righteousness in the throne room. Glory, revelation, deliverance. (laughs) Don't worry to your right, to your left. Just keep coming. That's right. Keep praying in the spirit. Keep praying a little louder. If you don't have your prayer language, just say, I'm coming, Abba, I'm coming. Just say, I belong here. I belong here. Hallelujah. Hey! 
promise it gets weirder. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. My Father's house is a house of prayer. One set on the throne. He who set there shines like jasper. You are the blinding, shining God. You are beautiful. Spirit of revelation, open our eyes. You are beautiful. Everyone say, you are beautiful. Say, you shine. (laughs) He dwells in unapproachable light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Keep going. You are the beautiful God, and you are the burning God. He's, he's Jasper and Sardius. He's the fiery God. He's passion. He's flame. He's not indifferent, and he's not distracted. He's not disconnected. He's engaged. Come on, lift it, lift it louder. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Lift your hands up. Lift your hands up. Pray from your spirit. Eleboto your ribete, eleboto your ribete. Rabakaya, rabakai. You shine brighter than the sun in the heavens or on the earth. There is no not one like you, Lord. You shine holy Father, holy Son. Holy Spirit. See, I'm going to teach you how to pray from your spirit. Most of you just pray from your mind. I want to teach you how to pray from your spirit. See, most of us just release our prayer list. Do you look at him when you pray? Do you look at him when you pray? We're going to start looking at who we're talking to. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? Release that groan. Let that groan come. Yeah. Let that groan come. God, let that cry come. The deep Abba cry. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Moving on up. 
<laughs> Salah. Jasper, Sardius, there's an emerald rainbow surrounding the throne of God. It's a rainbow of mercy. Children, come to the throne. There's mercy for you in the throne room. There's his faithfulness in the throne room. There's mercy in the throne room. He loves mercy. He loves to show mercy. He doesn't endure you. He enjoys you. He actually likes you. Uh, I want to tell you what you all look like in the throne room. He has seated you on thrones in his presence. Come on. Pray harder and pray from here. Where are you from? That's beautiful. Everybody say, I'm robed. Say, I'm throned. And I'm crowned. Say it again. Say, I'm robed. Let me go ahead and deal with the religious spirit. Just say this. Just say, I'm as clean as Jesus is. Now, here's your second one. I'm as close as Jesus is. Say this, say, I'm not just a cheerleader. I'm a partner. I'm dignified in your presence. You crown me with loving kindness. I am the aristocracy of heaven. Take that in. Now we just go back into praying in the spirit. <laughs> we may take 20 minutes of you, your spirit just receiving that. He became sin so that we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You don't give secondhand righteousness. Oh, come on. Oh, 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 that's a spirit of prayer. That's the spirit of prayer. Oh,
Come on, push. It's your spirit starving. You pray. You pray till you pray. And then you pray. Hey, reach for him. Don't just have your prayer language. You reach for him with your spirit. Reach for him with your spirit. Reach for him. Release another wave, Holy Spirit. Release another wave, Holy Spirit. We want more. Take us to the throne room. Take us to the throne room. We want more. Pour out the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Revelation 4 verse 5. Lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Release the lightning strikes of heaven. Release the lightning strikes of heaven. Release the thunders of heaven. Release the cry of the Spirit within, O oh God. Release the voices, O oh God. Spirit of prayer. Break the silence off a generation. Every religious spirit, I break your power. Every foul memory, I break your power. Loose the voices. Loose. Ele, lightnings, thunderings, voices. Lightnings, thunderings, voices. Don't worry, it gets weirder. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh, that's beautiful. There's still more. We got a bunch of Bible verses about this stuff happening. Lord, we love you. Lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Unlock. Unlock the spirit of prayer. Unlock the spirit of prophecy. 
Unlock the spirit of prophecy. It's time for a new spirit of prayer to lay hold of us. God's going to release a spirit of prayer on us. We're going to start. Increase. Help us, Holy Spirit. If you don't have your prayer language, just lift your hands. Pray in tongues. Shataya <laughs> Rebe. This is a commissioning service before you guys go. You're going to take cowards and turn us into lions. Cowards go into lions. Cowards to lions. He's breaking the spirit of fear. He's breaking the spirit of fear. Release the lion's roar, God. Release the Psalm 29, voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord makes, it breaks, and it shakes. And everyone in the temple says, glory, 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 glory. Fire, fire. Get down, just get down. Oh, oh. Glory, holy glory. 
Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Glory. Glory. Hey, 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 hey. Come on, before the throne, there's a sea of glass. Put your feet on the sea of glass. Seven lamps of fire burning. They are the seven spirits of God. Spirit of the Lord. Not by might. Nor by power, by my spirit, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of knowledge, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of the fear of the Lord, spirit of the fear of the Lord. Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Every, every detail, every pole. This whole place. Set a flame. Set a flame. Set a flame. Shout. Wow. Uh, wow. Wow. It's okay. Just go back to looking at him. It's the ebbs. We're on the seashore, and there's waves. You're standing on the seashore, and there's waves. Oh, precious girl, precious. Hallelujah. Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> Here come the seraphim. <laughs> Here come the seraphim, burning ones. 
creatures. Full of eyes. Everyone lift your hands. Father, release the spirit of revelation. The lions, the eagles, the oxes, the men. Open eyes in the name of Jesus. Open eyes in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. For more on prayer, intercession, and abiding, stay right here on the Fire and Fragrance podcast.